Well, this will be an abbreviated message uh, this morning, uh, but I, I trust, although abbreviated, it will still be meaningful and it will be uh, impactful. Uh, again, for the sake of our guests, we continue our study of Psalms 120 through 134, which are known in the Bible as the Psalms of the Degrees. If you uh, picked up a copy of the sermon notes, uh, you'll notice the title for the series is Celebrating Triumph Over Trouble Through Trust in God. Celebrating Triumph Over Trouble Through Trust in God. And that title reflects how the 15 Psalms appear to be arranged in five sets of of trios, with the first psalm in each trio speaking of, and you church family ought to know this by now, that first psalm speaks of what? Trouble. The second psalm, trust in God, and of course the third psalm, uh, triumph, or God's deliverance. Uh, We believe these 15 psalms uh, were compiled by King Hezekiah uh, to commemorate the miracle of the degrees, which God performed as a sign to Hezekiah that he would heal him from a deadly disease, add 15 years to his life, and deliver the city of Jerusalem from the Assyrian invasion. Today we come to Psalm 128, which I've entitled, The Blessed Life. Uh, The psalm, you'll notice, is printed in your sermon notes. So I want us to begin by reading Psalm 128, followed by a brief summary of the psalm, and then we'll look at the psalm's historical background and conclude with uh, several lessons to be learned for today. So Psalm 128 reads, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The first thing that we need to observe is Psalm 128 is clearly divided into two halves. The first half, consisting of verses 1 through 4, pronounces blessing on those who fear God and walk in His ways, and then enumerates some of the basic blessings God gives those who fear Him and walk in His ways. The second half, consisting of verses 5 and 6, is a prayer, a prayer for God to pour out even greater blessings on those who fear Him. Now, since verse 1 states the central theme, the main truth of Psalm 128, I think it's important to define the terms so that we have a very clear understanding of what is being said and what is being taught. So look again at verse 1. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. The word blessed 
that you see here has the basic idea of bliss, of joy, happiness that comes, now this is important, the bliss that comes from a person knowing that he's right with God. That there's nothing between him and God. And that the blessing that he's receiving from God is a gracious gift of God's love. Now, who is going to be thus blessed? Who will know that bliss? Everyone who what? Fears the Lord. The phrase fears the Lord is speaking of a reverential fear of God, which indicates both an attraction to God and a shrinking back from God. The attraction to the Lord is the deep adoration for His power, for His majesty, His glory, His grace, His love. The shrinking back is the acknowledgement God is the sovereign, holy judge to whom all men are accountable, to whom no man can run or hide from, and therefore a God to be obeyed, or you will suffer consequences. This reverential fear is expressed in worship. And when I say worship, I'm talking about our response to God, our response of awe and veneration, our response of submission and love to the revelation of God's character and His work. That's what we just did in the Lord's Supper. It's an act of worship. This is our response to who Jesus is and what He did for us. And so we celebrate, we rejoice in His gracious gift of love through salvation, through His death, burial, and resurrection. Now, the expression at the end of verse 1, who walks in His ways, makes very, very clear that those who fear the Lord, those who truly worship Him, also what? Obey Him. And that's the proof of the pudding that I truly fear Him, that I truly am worshiping Him, that I'm submitted to Him, that I'm obeying Him. When you study the term walks that you see there in verse 1 in the Bible, you need to understand, number one, it encompasses all the activities of life. Nothing is excluded. The word ways is used to speak of the alternative roads that a person can choose to travel. One of those being God's road. God's way, which is revealed in God's Word. Therefore, to walk in God's ways simply means that I choose to take God's road. I submit my life, the entirety of my life, to bring it in harmony with God's Word, with God's truth. Uh, you could call this a, just a God-saturated life is what he's talking about. Uh, and so when you put all of this together, verse 1 is simply saying, blessed, blessed, blissful, happy, joyful is the person who out of heartfelt worship 
walks in obedience before God. I think of the uh, first verse of the uh, great old hymn, Trust and Obey. It says it all, doesn't it? When we walk with the Lord, in what? In the light of His Word. What a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. And in the chorus, trust and obey for there is no other way to but what? Be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Now, how does God bless the person who fears Him, who walks in His way, who trusts and obeys Him out of a heart of worship? Verse 2 tells us of Psalm 128. That God will prosper his labors. Look at verse 2 again. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. Now, the promise here, let's be very, very clear. The promise here is not unlimited material riches. That if you follow God, he's going to make you filthy rich, rich. That's not the promise here. The promise is, if you truly fear God, if you walk in his ways, you will be satisfied with the produce of your labors. And notice, this does not eliminate the need to toil. It does not eliminate the mandate to do hard work. But as you put God first, and as you walk with integrity in the workplace, the outcome will be what? You will enjoy the blessings of God's divine provision. Now, let me just give you a contrast. Uh, maybe to help us in our understanding at this point. Listen as I read a portion of chapter 1 from the book of Haggai. Now, this is the other side of the coin. This is an occasion when God's people did not fear God, when they were not walking in His ways. We read there, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time is not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, let me just give you the historical background. This is following the Babylonian captivity. The people have returned to the land. And God's first priority for them was to reestablish worship, to rebuild the temple. But they had been negligent in that. They got all absorbed in their own self-interest, and they had laid God's interest aside. So this is what God says. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Almighty Lord says. Give careful thought. Notice, give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew it away. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. So, again, here's an example of God's people not fearing Him, not worshiping Him, not putting Him first, 
not walking in his ways. So, when you look at Psalm 128, and when you compare it to this example in Haggai, what do we learn? And it's simply this. When you worship God, when you truly worship God, when you walk in obedience and integrity, motivated by love for God, not duty, but love, to sheer delight for who He is and what He's done for you, the promise is you will be satisfied by what your work produces, and you will be blessed by God's provision. This is an Old Testament way of saying Philippians 4, God will what? Meet all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And not only will God bless those who fear Him and walk in His ways with provision, but notice the next thing He promises, a posterity. Look at verse 3. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Children, he says, will be produced out of the marriage union who will be like olive trees around your table. Now, let me tell you just a a few characteristics of the olive tree, which is sort of interesting when you think of the comparison to children. The olive tree was a symbol of vitality in the Old Testament, also was a symbol of endurance because they lasted and produced fruit for such a long time. The olive tree is very, very slow to grow, and the planter must be very, very patient since it will not grow berries until the seventh year. And even then, the crop will really not be worth much until the tree is 10 to 15 years old. But then it will continue to produce fruit to extreme age. Also, once the olive tree is well-established, it needs very little supervision. Matter of fact, it will take care of itself and even revive itself after being neglected for a very, very long period of time. And I think you can see sort of the similarities to raising children. It does take what? Great attention. It takes great care, patience, and discipline, especially in those early formative years. But the investment will pay off as you endure out of a motive of fearing God to walk in His ways and to impart that to your children. You know, I think back uh, to our study last week of Psalm 127, uh, where it said, children are like arrows, and blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Well, it's just very, very important for parents to realize before your children are ever going to be a quiverful, they're going to be a handful. And that's just the reality. Uh, and so you have to ask the question, well, where do parents find the confidence? Where do they find the courage to endure all the tears, all the hardships, all the challenges of parenting? Verse 4, behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who what? Again, fears the Lord. In other words, I find confidence as a parent through faith in God, through my relationship with God. And I realize I can only impart to my children what I possess. Therefore, I am to give them an example worth following, an example of worshiping God, where I do put Him first, where the children are seeing, for Daddy, Jesus is His first love, is His greatest passion and pursuit. 
He seeks God's kingdom first. It's not so much his interest as serving God's interest. Where they see me obeying God, submitting my life to God, out of a desire to honor God, out of a desire to please God. And so I desire to bring my life in harmony with the, with the scriptures. And then to trust God to work in the hearts of my children and bring them to faith in Christ to fulfill their God-given destiny. And so that's where I find courage. It's in that relationship with God. And, and your, the ability to believe a promise is just in your knowledge of the promiser. So the greater I know God, the greater confidence I'll have to surrender Him the lives of my children, believing He's big enough to capture their hearts and their lives and minister and work in them. Now, Psalm 128 ends with a prayer in verses 5 and 6 for God to bless the city of Jerusalem, future generations, and the nation of Israel with prosperity and peace. It says, The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So, with that just brief summary, look at the historical background in your notes as we connect it to the days of Hezekiah. Remember I said this is the last psalm in the third trio. The third trio of psalms in the Psalms of the Degrees consists of Psalm 126, which spoke of trouble, Psalm 127, trust, and here in Psalm 128, the tone is one of triumph. All three psalms, and we've emphasized this the last couple of weeks, but all three psalms in this trio focus on the challenge of restoring the nation of of Judah in the aftermath of the Assyrian invasion. Most of the cities and towns had to be rebuilt or at least repaired. Remember we talked about the fact that 46 fortified cities were overthrown by the Assyrians. They conquered many little small towns and villages. So the so the this towns, the cities had been devastated. Many of them had to be rebuilt. They had to be repaired. Not only that, notice the agricultural crops, and we talked a lot about this last week, had to be restored to supply the food needs of the nation and to strengthen the economy. The nation needed to be repopulated by married couples bearing many children through faith in God, confident in the bright future God would give their families. Remember, There were over 200,000 that had been taken captive by the Assyrians. And they talked about just a small remnant being left. So there was this massive, monumental task of restoring. It was going to take years, take tremendous toil, tremendous work. And there'd be a lot of heartache with that. So... Just to remind you, the end of Psalm 126, which was the first psalm in the trio, speaking of trouble, is a prayer. Acknowledging the work of restoration uh, would be troublesome, long, and at times disappointing. It would involve to sow in tears and to go out in weeping. Psalm 127 is an exhortation to the nation's surviving remnant to trust God, to trust God in rebuilding their homes and nations and begins by acknowledging total dependence upon God. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor what? In vain. So if they go about this work, they have to trust God. And then Psalm 128 is a celebration of the ultimate triumph God will give to everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. In other words, Psalm 128 was a message to the people in Hezekiah's day. You do not need to fear this enormous task of restoring the nation. You fear God. 
you walk in His ways, God will bless. He'll bless your produce. He'll bless your families. You don't need to fear bringing child, children into this world. You fear me. You walk with me, and I will bless you. I'll bless your families. I'll bless your children. So Hezekiah is basically saying through this psalm, if you will only fear God, if you will only walk in His ways, God is going to give us success. He's going to give us success in rebuilding our homes, in repopulating the nation, in rebuilding the cities, our crops, restoring the land. Now, lessons to be learned for today, and I'll just have the opportunity just to literally touch on these, and I trust you'll meditate on them uh, further. Here's the first truth, and I think the most important truth. True joy is only found when God is the center of your life, And His Word is the circumference of your life. And I'll explain that in just a second. True joy is only found when God is at the center of your life, and His Word is the circumference of your life. Now, of course, I think it's very obvious what I mean by Him being the center of your life. I've mentioned at even previous Lord's Suppers. If you're a child of God, yes, God is present in your life, but the question is, is He preeminent in your life? As I prayed a moment ago, can you honestly, in God's presence, as you allow Him to examine, can you say, as far as I know, there is no rival in my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's first and foremost, my greatest love, passion. As, as far as I know, at this, right, there's no refusal of Him. I'm not refusing anything that He's asking me to do in His Word or telling me not to do. And... I can honestly, I'm not retreating from what he's called me to be, what he's called me to do. I'm going forward to show him my love and my worship by putting him at the center, putting him first, seeking his kingdom first, not my interest, but his interest. And then when I say his word is to be the circumference of his life, when you think of circumference, you think of a what? A boundary. So we need to realize that our life, our lives, if they're going to be blessed, must have proper boundaries. And we need to realize as believers, some things are what? Out of bounds. And we must be willing to draw the line where God draws the line. We find, in other words, happiness only when we stay inside the circumference of God's Word. The moment you get outside that, guilt, sorrow, death. I prayed a moment ago about the situation our nation is in today. As a culture, we have forsaken God in many ways. And when you take yourself out from underneath God's authority, you're also out from underneath His protection, and you just become open game for the devil. And that's true of an individual as well. If you do not stay within the circumference of God's Word, the boundaries that God has set. Look at the second lesson to be learned for today. Two promises God gives to everyone who fears Him and walks in His ways. His blessing will be on your work and on your family. Nay, this doesn't mean that there won't be times of trial and testing in both realms, work and family. It doesn't mean that there won't be times of want where your faith is tested and you have to trust God, where you're not dealing with a rebellious child 
and where you're having to maintain your confidence in God and, and release that child to the Lord, uh, believing that God will uh, capture uh, their hearts. And then look at the third truth. And I think this is very, very clear in the psalm when you see sort of the flow of it as it begins dealing with the individual who fears and walks with God, then moves to the home and then moves to the nation itself, ending with peace be upon Israel. The safety of the nation depends on the sanctity of the home. And the sanctity of the home depends on the spirituality of the parents. So the safety of the nation depends on the sanctity of the home. And the sanctity of the home depends on the spirituality of the parents. So where we need to see revival is what? In our homes. Where we need to see revival is between moms and dads. Because there's nothing you can ever do better for your children than to love one another. And that's only going to happen as both parents turn to God. And as they submit to God to follow Him and honor Him. Father, uh, thank you for this uh, brief study on uh, Psalm 128 followed by the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for the uh, fundamental admonition to fear you, uh, to walk in your ways. And that for that individual who does fear you, for that individual who does walk in your ways, they will be blessed by you. Uh, as we seek to honor you, you will honor us. As we seek to exalt you, to magnify you, you will put us in a position that we might demonstrate you, to put you on display before a lost world. So, Lord, we do pray you would build and work into our hearts and lives a reverential fear for you. A reverential fear that would be expressed through heartfelt worship as we would come to you in awe and veneration, as we would come to you in total and absolute submission and surrender out of hearts of love for who you are and what you've done for us. And that as we fear you, we would express that by obeying you, by choosing your ways, by keeping you at the center of our lives and keeping your word as the circumference of our lives, drawing the line where you've drawn the line, not getting outside the boundaries of your word, but staying in that place of safety and that place of blessing as we seek to honor you. So, Lord, give us grace now to bring our hearts, lives, in harmony with your truth. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.